It is an utterly fascinating process to have to think through what we really have to have. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of January 3rd, 2013. Happy New Year. That's right. First podcast of the year, Uh, and we do hope that you and yours had a wonderful beginning to this new year. Your statement that you just made makes sense in terms of what we're struggling with and thinking about these days. Uh, one, brought on by the fact that we, we're in the dead of, dead of winter, and today felt like winter as we walked. I, I, you know, I'm sure somebody from up north would think it's, we're silly, because what was it, like low 50s, high 40s? really not that cold. No, but it felt, felt chilly. Um, but also, we're in the midst of trying to design and price um, a PV array for the, our lodge and our um, barn here. And there's a little sticker shot going on there. It's expensive. But we've begun to think about, and, and, and therefore we may have to trim it down what we wanted to do. So the combination of sort of winter weather and doldrums um, combined with this, what do we have to do to, you know, what would we really need in terms of power if we did not have the grid. That's all working together to cause us to reflect about what is essential in terms of food, you know, sh- you know, what do we do to um, keep our food supply going. And with- we started out saying, okay, it needs to be essential for health and safety. Yeah, health and safety. Um, but uh, very know. quickly we move from that to other things that we consider essential. So well, that's really the heart of the conversation. Exactly. Because what are those things that really are not necessary for health and safety do we nevertheless regard as essential? And I think we'll get around to some of mine, even though you'd say, well, you don't really need that. But, you know, what what would be so desirable for our health, safety, and um, gratification, I suppose, that... We need to make sure we can provide that. Gratification. Now we get to Yeah, now okay. we get to the... So anyway. Well, uh, we have always said that we believe a refrigerator is one of those essentials. Right, to store food. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. people got along for centuries without a refrigerator, and we too could get along without a refrigerator. But given the way we live, given the way we grow, our assumption is we will need a refrigerator to be safe and yes. healthy. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the safety is, uh, food safety is really a, a significant element here in all of this. Um, and of course, for getting through the winter time or the, the time when you don't have as much food production, a deep freeze is invaluable. It is, in, it is very helpful. Yes. Uh, is it essential? You know, we've decided it is to us. That doesn't mean it's essential to you. Uh, The reason we've decided the deep freeze is essential to us is that we do enough food storage using the deep freeze that it would be quite a it would require quite a change in our lifestyle for us to have to do without it. 
Yeah. And a lot of things that other people can, we choose to freeze, notably tomatoes. We don't can any tomatoes, but we do freeze them. And so when I want to use them in a stew or um, a salsa or something during the wintertime, they're available. So those two we're calling essential for us. Doesn't mean they're essential for you, but it means they're essential for us. Now we move to the other things that we consider helpful, like ceiling fans. Yeah, to keep us cool. Even if we didn't have enough power for air conditioning, if we had enough power to run really good, hefty ceiling fans, we could stay pretty cool. And even there... We're probably talking about limiting sharply the rooms in which we operate those fans. So we wouldn't be talking about running eight fans in the lodge. We might be talking about running two. Yeah. Something like that. If you really had to to limit your power usage. And then we start seeds as a part of our um, way of growing food here on the farm. And when you start from seed especially if you're going to start in January and February, you better have a heat mat or some source of heat to get those seeds to germinate. And that heat mat uses a lot of power. Have we measured that? It's a power. Oh, yeah, it tells us how much it uses. And um, so I, I won't say that the heat mat is essential for health and safety, but, again, it's essential for the way we grow. You're not able to do it without the heat mat. Now, maybe you could use... Maybe a greenhouse would allow us to minimize the use of the heat mat. Well, and I'm certainly hoping that. We plan to build a greenhouse in the future. And And it could be that if we had a greenhouse in good shape, we could use the heat mat only on the coldest, cloudiest days. And I do know that if you have plants in a greenhouse and it's going to get cold, uh, like below freezing, um, you need to have some kind of a heater, heat heat source out there. But it could be that there would be a more efficient source of oh, heat. I, I think we've got to be able to design a greenhouse that does not need auxiliary heat. Well, good luck with that. Then we'll try. <laughs> but I mean, you know, and normally we're as we. I think we can. Yeah. I, I really, it, given that we live in central Alabama, I think we can design a greenhouse that will stay reliably above freezing. Because we don't have that many really cold days. Well, when we do, as we've noted often on these podcasts, here in central Alabama, if it's going to be bitter cold tonight, it's sunny today. So what we what we have to design is a system that makes the most of the sun to warm up heat mass and you know thermal mass and then release that thermal mass release that heat during the night and yeah. keep the temperature above freezing and if it's well designed hopefully we can get it to do that yeah well we also uh, part of growing food is keeping everything watered even when under drought conditions so we need some sort of power source for uh, pumping for drip irrigation and for rainwater harvesting, which is a means of acquiring potable water for ourselves. Yeah. Um, let's take those one at a time. Okay. Um, do we have to have drip irrigation? No. But it's the most efficient way to it's keep It's by your far the most efficient. Plants um, watered. If we had to do without it, we could. We would um, just have a watering can and water, walk around and water what needs to be watered. You and I both 
are big believers in drip irrigation because we think it's a, it's a superior way to get water to the roots of the plants where it's needed. Yeah. And it avoids g- keeping the foliage moist. And yes. Wet, and moist foliage is a, is a problem here in the hot, humid summertime. Not to mention it, the, the idea of walking around with a watering can uh, would probably limit how long and deeply you could water those plants and it might lead to some of the problems that we've talked about i think years ago in a podcast that the idea of watering is water maybe less frequently but deeper so that the plants develop deep roots so if we're talking about going to a watering can would we uh, run the risk that the watering would not be uniform right or would not be um would be administered in such a way that it's that it overwaters some of the time and underwaters some of the time. Well, I think we're answering our own question, which is, is a watering can a good alternative to drip irrigation? No. Um, and so, therefore, is drip irrigation one of those essentials to feeding ourselves? And I guess I'm about to come around to say, yes, it is. Well, I... Fortunately, that does not appear to be one of those uh, things we have to give up. I would say that there's no way you can argue drip irrigation is essential for our health and safety because people got along without it for centuries. And they also lost crops when there was no rainfall. Exactly. So uh, there you have it. Now, what about the rainwater harvesting? What about the rainwater harvesting? You know, um, we have right now a 228-foot well from which we res- we have our fresh water and from which we get our drip irrigation water. Mm-hmm. When we pump from it, the pump that brings that water up that 228 feet is two horsepower. That is a big old pump. You know, it's, it sucks a lot of power and uses a lot of juice. The pumps that we will need to access water once they are in the rainwater harvesting system can be smaller and we're in the process of figuring out just how small they can be but one thing is clear if you've got water sitting in a cistern um, that's down below where we are water you know the where the where the water is stored at a minimum you could install a hand pump so that you could pump up some of that water and put it in a can or a bottle to to drink and to use and so forth. Um, Obviously, though, we hope to use a pump to pump it up the hill to the upper tank so that it will flow down by gravity. Yeah, so that certainly will help um, conserve energy as far as getting water for ourselves. That's right. Is rudimentary lighting an essential do we have to have lighting? Well, sort of like the way you were pointing out about the people for millennia growing crops without, or at least for centuries, growing crops without um, having drip irrigation. People lived for however long humankind has been on the earth with um, not having electricity to light their way. So, of course, torches, candles... Or just um, going to bed when the lot when the sun yeah, went down. Yeah, living by the sun, um, but 
that means reading becomes an issue at night. Um, you know, safety. I mean, I think that's a safety issue as well. Tripping over something in the dark. True. Tripping over the dog on the way to the bathroom. <laughs> um, so I think there needs to be some sort of lighting. Now, uh, solar battery-powered flashlights or using candles whenever you can. Of course, if we're beekeeping and we have our own hives and we have beeswax and we make our own candles, we could really be self-sufficient. Oh, and I do hope to do that sometime. And I, I think, but if you, I don't have anything to add. I, I think you've yeah. analyzed it well. Of course, computers, that's a whole other issue, isn't it? That is an, an entirely different kettle of fish. You'd have plenty of light to, well, not necessarily just illumination, but if you're reading on a computer screen, you don't necessarily have to have a lot of light in the room to read, like, or if you have an e-book or something of that nature. But the fact of the matter is, it takes a whole lot more energy to power a computer than it does just a light switch. So. And we... Actually, I don't know that that's the case. Really? Is it? Have we not done our kilowatt on your... Yeah, it doesn't take a huge amount of power to run a computer. Well, okay, well, then that is good to know. Um, the laptops that we use. Now, we well, don't have any desktop That's computers. true, yes. We're, we're doing laptops. And, of course, if you use an iPhone and you charge that, that's probably even a smaller... It's a small uh, power drain. Power drain. So, really... Yeah. It's it's more um, the frequency of use. I mean, I'm kind of smiling because I'm thinking right. I'm online a good bit more than I should be. So well, I won't say I that guess, a good bit more than you should be, but clearly we are online often, and we use a lot of energy for the computers and the internet right now. Uh, could we get by without them? Maybe. Could we get by with a lot less? For sure. Yeah, um, we could survive. You know. That's right. The question now, I think a, a larger question, which I think is beyond the scope of our discussion today, is how well can the Internet survive in the face of a grid shutdown? I, I think that's a wonderful question. Um, if the grid is no longer reliable, then the Internet as we know it ceases to exist mm -hmm. because the Internet as we know it is totally dependent on 24-7 servers. Yeah, so... That the um, internet being online almost becomes a moot point at that point. That's Boy, true. are we sounding like doomsday people. I'm sorry. Well, I That's tell you, we kind are. Kind of negative, but. You too. I mean, I'm used to being the doomsday guy, but you're out over there saying, well. You know, what you if can't... we didn't have that? I know. All right. All right. Here's, here's Here comes one. the fun one. Yeah. Television. Of course, if there's no power, there will be no, there'll be nothing broadcast to watch. So, but uh, we, we do have DVDs and we have, um. <laughs> Yeah, seriously, we have DVDs that we could watch, but power is a, is a factor. Yes, it is. And those lovely screens hanging on the wall require gobs, gobs of power. Of power. Yeah. We do not have uh, 16 or 19-inch television sets. We have big flat-screen TVs, and they suck down power in a fairly big way, so... And and so many people have that that, you know, I'm sure you're in the same boat. We just if if you watch TV at all, and not everybody does, and we have a lot of friends who just don't watch TV. That's that's not going to be a factor for them. Yeah, and I'm guessing that you're. I, th I think you're putting your finger on it. When we can no longer <laughs> depend on the grid, chances are we will watch less television. Right, and there will be less television to watch. Correct. How about the microwave oven? 
Well, so many ways that we heat our food will be affected here. The microwave is, uh, for me, it's no longer just a convenience. It's a way, I mean, there are plenty of vegetables I can go pick off the plant and five minutes later after being in the microwave, it's it's a meal. It's ready to ready eat. Ready to eat. So, yeah, that would be a real loss not to have it. For, and, and, and the microwave oven is a fairly efficient way to cook food. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, my guess is that as long as we are able to, we'll use a microwave oven. Yeah. Um, I put the induction cooktop on here. That's sort of a throwaway. That's a, a way of getting a stovetop going. Um, it uses a lot of power, but it doesn't use it for very long. Right. But let's skip right over that one to the really fun one, which is the coffee pot. Oh, coffee pot. pot. Well, I've got to have my coffee. Although, again, I think if you have grid problems and no power, then if the transportation shut down, there may not be any coffee beans to grind into coffee because we cannot grow coffee here. I've, well, I've had some friends say they had a coffee plant and they've they've tried it. But it's not grown in quantity and I've not tried it so I would not be somebody to say never say yeah never say never there might be a way to grow coffee beans but because it's unlikely and just from the lecture we talked about this last year after we'd been to Cafe Campesino in Georgia and had a tour that we just do not have the growing conditions for coffee beans and um, I I think you're right given that they yeah but I don't think we have a serious concern about whether there will be no coffee available. Because fortunately, coffee doesn't have to be refrigerated to be shipped. Good point. Um, it could be brought in, in a, on a train um, from somewhere else. So I, I, I'm guessing you'll always be able to get coffee. And we'll have, we may have to figure out some other way to prepare it. And then it's just a matter of heating up the water, which can be done with a kettle, using a um, cafetiere, or an electric coffee pot. And, yeah. of course, washing machine, last but not least on my list. Got to be able to wash clothes. I don't want to have to go down to the creek bank and, you know, take rocks and pound uh-huh. my clothes to wash them. But we could if we needed but to. But we could if we... If we needed to. So there are ways to get clothes clean. We do. We're lucky enough to have um, a source of flowing water on this property mm-hmm. so that we could wash if mm-hmm. we needed to. Uh, and I'll ask the same question about the dishwasher. Oh, same here. You've got to get your dishes clean um, and avoid um, bacteria or contamination. But you could always heat up water. I'm thinking of our days when I started dating you at the lake. At the lake place, sure. there was no dishwasher. We didn't have a dishwasher there. And um, the water was actually had to be boiled before we washed the dishes because it came from the lake. It was not, you know, it was, your father would bring bottled water in. We were roughing it, yeah. weren't we? So it, it's possible to do that, just as we did back in the old days at the lake. Well, I know we're running short of time, but you and I had said we would talk a, a little bit about uh, alternatives to using the deep freeze for storing food, and maybe we could just run quickly through. I those. think we can because uh, can <laughs> as a pun, canning is certainly one way that many people store food, and we, including us, that we mm-hmm. don't have to deep freeze. Drying food, lacto fermentation, but which that's, is something neither of us has yeah. learned to do, 
And it's a fairly specialized technique, but it can be used. Mm-hmm. Um, using our root cellar is one. And just, you know, storing root vegetables for a long period of time, as long as we can, garlic and that kind of thing um, in that. And, and But the main alternative we've come up with is just growing more of the year, spending more of the year, calendar year, actually with food in the ground. Exactly. So, and I thought I'd finish up with a list of, um, even though we have stored vegetables that we eat occasionally, most of what we're consuming in terms of vegetables come from this list of eight. Rutabaga, collards, cabbage, cauliflower, broccoli, kale, lettuce, and carrots. And Those are growing right now. Right there, right now on Veg Hill. And so when we get ready to cook um, collards, we go harvest collards and cook them in the pot that night. Yeah. So that's, we don't have to worry about storing vegetables a lot here in central Alabama because we can grow so much year-round. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but we hope that you have a wonderful week, and we'll catch up with you next time. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.